After a, a several month hiatus between holidays, the off season, uh, general uh, lackadaisical attitude towards trying to record a podcast, um, completely inept technical abilities on multiple occasions, um, the calendar finally flipped to March, uh, which is what uh, March's uh, baseball season. We've got the Reds actually playing regular season baseball, uh, I believe, three weeks from Thursday. So we've got 23 days until the season actually begins. Um, spring training's in full force. Um, it's uh, it's time to get back to the Red Reporter podcast. And so here we are, uh, hopefully getting back to a more regular schedule as the season picks back up again. Uh, I'm Wick. I'm your host. Um, uh, excited about this season. Obviously, we've had a, a, an offseason that has been um, one of the more exciting on-paper offseasons the Reds have had in quite some time. And that includes last year too. When let's be honest, they made a whole lot of waves in the trade market. Uh, the big Dodgers deal with Yasiel Puig and Alex Wood, um, trading for Sonny Gray, yada, yada, yada. This year, the Reds really put their money where their mouth was. Um, it's what we watched happen all winter long, uh, uh, roughly $160 million spending spree. Um, and they've got on paper what appears to be a club that should make 2020 uh, pretty damn exciting, uh, not just from an on-field perspective, but from uh, an in-the-standings perspective. And that's something we've not had the ability to look forward to uh, in quite some time. So with that in mind, we are uh, getting this thing dusted off and read back up uh, and kind of looking at where the Reds stand right now uh, and what we can look forward to over the next couple of weeks as uh, as the regular season rolls on. So um Join tonight. Uh, you can find him at redreporter.com and at fangrass.com. We've got Tony Wolf. Uh, Tony, what's going on, buddy? Uh, what, what are your thoughts on where the Reds are uh, as we roll into a March where we actually have some expectations again for the first time in a while? Yeah, you know, it's weird. The The Reds have a bunch of, uh, you know, a, a good amount of hype, obviously, when, when you look at the, the, at the offseason that they've had compared with the offseason that the rest of the division has had. Uh, it, it's the Reds look like a team that's taken, you know, two or three steps forward while every other team has either, uh, spun their tires or taken a couple steps backwards. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, where, whereas last year we got a little bit of a sign of, okay, they're, they're pushing their chips in a little bit. They're, they're trying to accelerate this, uh, rebuild timeline, uh, at long last, uh, now they're, uh, you know, really seem like they should be in the in the thick of things uh, for the division. It isn't so much a, a hopeful thing as it was a year ago. I think uh, as it is, you know, this really looks like a team that should be competitive for the division. I don't know if they are, um, if they are necessarily the favorites. You know, the, you, when you look at the the talent that the Cubs still have and uh, Cardinals devil magic and the way that the Brewers continue to sort of remind me of like an, an, an a national league raise in terms of just the right. way that they have a, such a forward thinking uh, mindset when it comes to a lot of different things uh, when it comes to winning games. 
uh, you know, I, I I can't sit here and say that the Reds are necessarily the favorites in the in the division, but they should certainly be uh, competitive. So you know, it, it's and it, it's just a, it's a strange it's a strange thing, you know, when you when you've uh, cheered for this team for you know so many so many through so many losing seasons up until now, um, the the idea of them winning this year it's it's exciting for sure, but also because of how much they've invested in this and the prospects that, that they've traded away and sort of uh, through that kind of shorten their window a little bit, you don't necessarily have the feeling of, whoa, whoa how, how exciting is it going to be the, that the Reds are competitive again? It's like, well, the Reds damn well better be competitive again. <laughs> look at all the, right. look at all the, look at how much they've invested in this team. Like they have to, it's, it's a very weird thing where they haven't won in uh you know seven years at this point and they really really better win this year or else uh, there's going to be a lot of uh a lot of uh issues there yeah and i mean let's be honest here the reds have done very very admirable stuff not just this offseason but even dating back to you know i mentioned last winter as well and obviously the the trade deadline last year when they went out and picked up trevor bauer who's going to be a big big part of this year as well um they they got this process started early but that is no guarantee of Awesome returns. You gotta you gotta qualify this. It's an on paper step right now. You look up at last year and where was the big money? Where was everybody else? Uh, you know, the Phillies signed Bryce Harper and uh Andrew McCutcheon and didn't really do anything. Uh the Padres swung huge inside Manny Machado on the heels of the giant Will Myers contract and Eric Cosmer contract, and they didn't do anything either. So um, you know, this is certainly an on-paper thing, and the Reds certainly have uh, uh rightfully have expectations on their shoulders because of the moves they've made. Um, but the fact remains, they still have to go out there and begin to actually win baseball games, um, which is something that uh, I'm still have like fingers, toes, legs, arms, eyes, you name it, crossed uh, because of that. Because um, you can only do on paper so much before things have to mesh and have to gel. And that's one thing that I'm, um, I'm still waiting to see how it shakes out uh, for these Reds. So, um, also joining us tonight from the great state of Indiana, we've got Derek Grimes. Uh, Grimey, what are your thoughts on on where the Reds kind of sit as we uh, as we sit literally just three weeks away from this regular season getting started? Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting to uh, have um, expectations again. I don't know if that's <laughs> I, I, I don't know if that's the right because, like you said, it is on paper, but there there are some expectations. Like as Tony alluded to, it's not so much. You know, like, oh, like, I hope they're good this year and I hope they're good for a couple of years. And if they're not good this year, maybe they'll be good. No, they need to be good now. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot riding on this season with the contracts that they've doled out. But I will say we, we should expect them to be competitive game in and game out. Does that mean 95 wins or does it mean 85 wins? I don't really know. But that that's a far cry from where they were even last season with, you know, some some glimmering signs or the season before with Rigglemania and momentum, right? Um, Rigglemania! But, <laughs> but, you know, like, so, you know, we've been cranking through these red, red reports uh, the past couple of weeks, and um, I, I will say, you know, I do a lot of these each year, and it's, you know, we're, what, like 10, 15 players in, and... You know, it's it's a strange thing because for, for the most part, other than maybe Freddie Galvis, the, there's still a lot of good players left. You know, players left, and <laughs> all of the players that I've 
written about, it's not like I really have to talk myself into it. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like right. writing about Sal Romano as the number three starter, and you're like, well, maybe if you <laughs> You know, like, I mean, we're, we were, like I said, like, other than Galvis, and then, you know, depending on what you think about Wayne Miley, like, the rest of the guys that we've posted about so far, like, yeah, like, they just need to go out and do it. Um, and, 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 and I mean, pretty good. And, and, and let's be honest, even Freddie Galvis, like every team has a worst position player. Uh, everybody does. Um, all the best teams do. If Freddie Galvis is your worst position player, your first worst everyday regular, that's fine. I mean, he's a guy who's an outstanding defensive shortstop who can hit 20 home runs in a season. Like, yeah, he's got flaws. He's got plenty of flaws. But, like, that's a roughly a two-win player. And if he the Reds get that out of him, uh, the rest of these things should kind of fall into place. And, uh, you know, the, the one thing that for me specifically I've kind of, like, I, I, I guess I don't want to say it's tempering expectations, but it's been a little bit of like uh, trying to rein myself in. Um, I've mentioned multiple times we're almost three weeks away when this airs tomorrow. It'll be roughly three weeks away from the regular season. Um, we've not seen a lot of Mike Bostakis. He and his wife are expecting a child, so he's been kind of away from the team for a little bit. Nick Castellanos has been sick and literally got told to go away from the uh, Goodyear because he doesn't want to get everybody else sick. Um Nick Sinzel is yet to take a, uh, a, a, a bat or play the field in spring training. Apparently, he's supposed to be back on Thursday, knock on wood. Um, Eugenio Suarez has yet to play. Uh, and even Galvis was out for the first six or seven days because of a sore shoulder, too. Uh, Jesse Winker got hit on the wrist. Like That's like that's like 150-ish home runs that you're hoping to have out of this team heading into this season. Uh, and we've still not had a chance to see all those guys healthy and together in one spot. And uh, so while we, we talk about all these improvements on paper, I'm still really, really excited to see how this lineup shakes out because you've got so many options uh, you've got so much depth from both sides of the plate once they all finally get in that dugout. Um, and we saw last year in David Bell's first year as the manager of the Reds, um, uh, perhaps nobody I've seen in uh, a managerial role with the Reds ever has used his entire active roster and lineup with switches and pinch hit opportunities and double switches, you name it. He used as many players every single day as I think I've ever seen a Reds manager do. Um, and it really seems like the Reds front office kind of embraced that concept when they went out and signed a lot of these guys this winter to help build a roster that doesn't just look good and look deep. Uh, it looks versatile, too. And that's one thing that I'm really excited to see play out. Once we get Mustakas and Castellanos back and we get Sinzel and Suarez as well, um, I think this does look like a kind of a, an offense that doesn't just look vastly improved from last year, but looks that you can line it up in you know eight, nine, ten different ways depending on which ball park you're in, uh, what the weather conditions are like, whether it's a lefty or a righty on the mound, uh, you name it. It's kind of built in uh, to be matchup heavy, and that's something that I think is kind of um, emblematic of how the Reds front office and managerial roles have changed. They've just changed their perspective on things as they've embraced more analytics over the last few years. And you know, specifically, you look up at uh, the, the two big-name guys they brought in, in Moustakas and Castellanos, and one thing that jumps off the page specifically at me is Mike Moustakas is not a second baseman, and Nick Castellanos has been one of the worst defenders in baseball for his entire career. Um, the Reds kind of bucked that. They, they said, yeah, we don't really care. We're going to use shifting. We're going to use team defense. We're going to use the fact that we play in a very small ballpark and try to hide those things to be able to let their offensive aspects of it play through. Um, and 
all of this, as you kind of dig back through the moves that they made this winter, it just reveals more and more that they're looking at so many different numbers and metrics than they have been even two, three, four, five, six years ago. Uh, and so while I'm as excited as can be to see these good baseball players get a chance to play in Reds jerseys. I'm excited to see how that entire thought process and planning gets a chance to play out because it seems like they've done so much more of the preemptive you know, number crunching on the front end uh, than they ever have this winter. Uh, Tony, you're you're our resident stats guy here. What are, what are your thoughts on 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 how you've seen them kind of mix and match guys that didn't look like, you know, quote unquote natural fits uh but the more you kind of break it down, it kind of makes a little bit more sense. Well, yeah, you know, the, I I wrote a couple months back, I guess now when when MLB unveiled their, uh, or I guess it was Baseball Savant, technically the Statcast arm of MLB Advanced Media uh, unveiled their new infielder outs above average metric and found that while uh, Fangraphs and uh, baseball prospectus and some and you know you some of the it's an oxymoron but some of the more traditional advanced defensive stats like <laughs> are, uh, defensive runs saved had Freddie Galvis as sort of a uh, you know average to you know just so, somewhere in, in that range defender uh, baseball savants uh, infielder outs above average metric had him as one of the best defensive shortstops in baseball. Like he was literally even with Jose Iglesias, who we all loved for his defense uh, and was pretty much in the same range as like guys like Francisco Lindor. Like he was right there with, and MLB advanced media because of the technology that they're, that they have at their disposal. They can use things like tracking and uh, more, more, uh, more specific details that other metrics just don't have. And, and you, you go into something like that knowing that it's not going to be perfect. You know there's going to be flaws with any, with each defensive stat, but with the tracking data that they have, you expect that to be fairly accurate. And the very smart people who are behind those things, like Tom Tango, uh, Mike Petriello, you know some of the smartest baseball minds that there are, uh, they they've they've organized this in a way that is going to be very instructive as to uh, who is playing their position the best and freddie galvis played defensive shortstop with some of the best of them in baseball last year so when you look at the reds going into this offseason and the fact that they didn't uh buy uh buy in on dd gregorius we think of dd gregorius as one of the best one of the better defensive shortstops in baseball this uh infielder outs above average metric had him as one of the worst um you know they didn't overpay to uh if there is such a thing as overpaying for a guy like francisco lindor or Corey seager you know they didn't uh I, I guess maybe panic is the word and and say we have to go make a big splash at shortstop they're fine with freddie galvis because i think in in their minds they they think that freddie galvis may, may be something close to an elite defender at shortstop uh he's been there even by tra- traditional stats in the past and uh, as as you alluded to, you know, if he's hitting twenty homers uh, every year, even if he's only walking four percent of the time, there's something there. You know, that's that's maybe a two win player. Uh, Mike Mustakis uh, last year was another case in which the the Reds might have seen something that uh, baseball savant and MLB advanced media saw in Mike Mustakis, where the further uh, 
uh, into the middle slash further to the right side of the infield, Mike Mustakis played the better, <laughs> the better he was. Uh, you know, he wasn't Mike Mustakis last year was not a very good defensive third baseman, but because but where it, in in the you know those traditional third base zones, but when you looked at you know how much the Brewers shifted along with the forty games, uh, give or take that he actually played second base, he was pretty good in the middle in that middle of the infield. So uh, you know you look at things like that, and it's it's ve- it is it's very encouraging to see the Reds you know maybe either at or ahead of the curve uh seemingly on on some of these things whereas you know in in so many years past uh they've seemed to be behind the curve and with guys like uh Kyle Bodie and the pitching development uh system now and 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 heading that up from driveline baseball you know that that's it, it seems like this organization has ha- has come around to the times that that they need to in order uh, to be a successful team and and be a, a very very smart front office and uh, have a very smart player development system going into the future. Yeah, yeah, I, I think the, the, as you were kind of walking walking us through that. What really jumped into my mind is the way that not just that advanced metrics and advanced analytics, statistics, and defensive measurement has improved significantly and become a little bit uh, maybe more straightforward to understand. Um, you mentioned pitching. And it's remarkable to me when I start kind of walking myself back into how the Reds have put this all together. Um, you know, Mike Moustakas can be an untraditional second baseman because shifting kind of t- takes away the traditional uh, ground you have to cover between the first baseman and shortstop up the middle so many times. Uh, the same can be said for, for moving a third baseman significantly further over um, on the diamond to kind of help play that. Um, much in the way that catching statistics and catching valuations became so much more important to value with pitch framing and the advent of pitch framing statistics. Uh, Defensive shifting is almost the same as pitch framing. You know, it really is. Uh, You know, the catcher is trying to make sure that if the batter takes a pitch, it might get called a strike. But framing the defense is effectively saying, we want this pitcher to throw this pitch at this exact spot, and if he does, the ball is going to get hit right where these defenders are. And so defensive placement is kind of almost the same for the outfield and infielders, the way they pitch framing is for catchers. And obviously, what does that all depend on? It depends on a pitching staff that can actually hit their spots when they're throwing. And what the Reds have done and kind of the underlying aspect of all of this is put together a pitching staff that for my money uh, probably looks to be the best pitching staff they've put together in maybe my lifetime. And that includes the 2012-2013 seasons where they had Johnny Cueto at his peak, Matt Latos at his peak, uh, Bronson Arroyo flipping up Frisbees left and right. Um, This pitching staff that they've cobbled together and not just the starters, uh, you know, the bullpen has got a tremendous number of talented arms in there as well. Um, you talk about Derek Johnson and Cal Bode being around as well. Uh, it almost seems that the Reds were willing to, to not punt on defense, but to take the pressure off the defense because they knew they had pitchers that were going to help the defense as much as they possibly could by hitting their spots and forcing teams to hit balls where the Reds are going to have their guys put uh, put out there to play. Um, and so that's it's going to be interesting to see how much of that really plays out because you know you talk about Sonny Gray, Trevor Bauer. Castillo, Anthony DiScofani, Wade Miley, Tyler Miley behind him. Um, that's 
that's that's a depth of really really talented arms uh, that I think the Reds have put together, uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays together once they all get a chance to get out there on the field and kind of do their thing. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, what are your thoughts, to, man? What are you what are you thinking? To go back to the defense thing um, for a second, I guess this is more of a um, I don't know. I guess it was probably more of an old school way of thinking about it, but it's also I guess it's also worth you know thinking about like you see that they've cobbled together some guys that on paper might seem to be either bad or either poor to actually bad on defense. But I mean, you got to remember they play 81 games and one of the smallest outfields in the league. Right. So like when it comes to, when it comes to Jesse Winker and, and Nick <laughs> trying to figure out the corners out there, I mean, it's not like we're playing in cores or, you know, some of the other like NL West, uh, you know, cavernous Petco or whatever. I mean, we're not we're not asking. I mean, getting them in position is obviously one thing, but the other part of that is like we're not asking them to do a lot. Um, and the other thing that that kind of came to mind was, and I don't know if this will actually ever come to fruition, but when when we talk about at least the outfield, I mean, um, Mike Bustakis is probably you know probably is who he is at this point, and I think infield shifting. Um, has does a lot you know more for a second baseman than it might. I mean, getting the guys in the right position in the outfield is definitely important, but you know, getting to ground balls that you might not otherwise get to by a second baseman like that makes a lot of you know a lot of sense to me. But with like Jesse Winker and Nick Castellanos, I mean, we're not talking about guys that are 32, 33 years old. I mean, there's a small chance that either one of them. I mean, they're, they're both in their mid to late twenties. Like, there's a decent or not a decent chance, but there's a chance these guys can get better at their defensive positions yet i mean they're not on the downswing athletically um right you know i, I don't expect you know jesse winker to he, he's not the most and i say this relative to the rest of major league baseball but he's not the most gifted athlete in the world he's not exactly what you would call fleet of foot i don't expect him to be billy hamilton i don't exactly i don't expect him to be billy hamilton <laughs> but, i mean he can't do better he's not like on the downs like we talk about um you know Shogo Akiyama coming in and I think everybody's already just put him in center field every day I mean, if not every day because you know you got to figure out the Nixon Zell thing but but there actually is some questions on whether or not he's going to continue to play center field every day for maybe not this year but the next three years of that contract because he is a little bit older but these other guys I mean they could get better you know they don't have to be bad i guess <laughs> uh, there's nothing in their there's nothing in their age curve quite yet <laughs> we go back to the joey Votto shirt i think from uh last spring training or the spring training before about the uh the age decline or whatever it was um those two guys aren't there yet so i mean th- there's 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 a potential for them to get better i guess And, and you know, obviously, in Great American Ballpark, if if in between that and the advent of uh, the streamlined baseball that everything turns into a home run with, um, if you just tell them to stand on the damn edge of the warning track and just no, nothing is going over their head, that's not a home run. Uh, th- that's probably fine, honestly. You know, you you put deep outfielders out there, you play shifts on the infield. Um, it's a home run or it's a ground ball and nothing gets over their head and, and dinks around for an extra base. Uh, that's probably fine. You know, that's honestly probably fine, especially in great American ballpark. And uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm fascinated to see a, well, big caveat on that. I'm fascinated to see which baseball major league baseball actually chooses to play with this year, since there's been 
no real confirmation for Rob Manfred or anybody that it's going to be the same as it was last year or if it's going to be the same as it was three years ago. Um, but that said, uh, I think the fact that, that the Reds have chosen to go offensive heavy uh, certainly seems to kind of mesh with uh, the way that the, the trend of Major League Baseball has gone over the last few years. Uh, and knock on wood, that's going to be something that's going to benefit this offense. And you pair that with this pitching staff, and that's a, that's a pretty good thing to look forward to. Um, I guess – transition just a little bit we have had some spring training games to be able to watch and fortunately between the reds broadcast on fox sports ohio and some of the games they played against uh, uh their their peers there have been a decent number of games on tv uh, i don't know how much you guys have had a chance to watch i've uh, had a chance to watch a, a couple innings of several games so far but um i guess just your thoughts overall on what you've seen so far in spring training what stood out as a good as a bad as a different um and just kind of roll from uh, there uh, grammy how about you go lot. first man um um, in person. So when it comes, you know, then you come, come to like looking at box scores and spring training and n- not a lot of that makes a lot of difference, but, uh, in the little bit that I have, well, I mean, obviously we're, we're t- we've talked about, uh, on red reporter, we've talked about Jose Garcia. Um, that's the one that stands out and I'm sure we'll get to that a little bit more in, in a minute. Um, just looking at the numbers, um, Aristides Aquino has been, uh, struggling. We'll put it that way. Uh, <laughs> He, yeah, he's been I, sept- I he's been September Aquino, unfortunately. Yeah, if he continues to play this poorly, it it helps the Reds make some of their what should have been harder decisions. But um, uh, the little bit I saw of Lucas Sims, and I know the numbers aren't there, but um, that one game that I saw that he was in um, middle of last week, that first inning, he was completely unhittable. Um, they brought him back out for a second inning and things kind of fell apart, but, um, it seems like that stuff might play up a little bit in, in one inning relief, uh, situations. Um, who else? There was somebody else I was going to mention, um, pitching wise, but, oh, Robert Stevenson. I saw, I watched uh, Robert Stevenson in that game and he was kind of the same way that uh, one inning that he was in, he had it working. So, um, I'll kind of leave it at that because I haven't watched a ton and the numbers don't really matter. So um, those are the guys that, from what I've seen, that's, those are the guys that stand out to me. No, that's, but that, that, and, and that's that's an important part of the Reds roster right now because that's pretty much the one real spot that's not totally on paper defined right now, which is the last few spots in the bullpen. And, you know, Sims and Stevenson and Cody Reed and Sal Romano, all those guys are out of options. And I guess Romano's off the roster right now already because he cleared waivers. But those are a lot of guys who were – pretty highly touted arms that were kind of failed starters at this point. And the Sims-Stevenson dynamics one that uh, I think is pretty interesting as well, because obviously Robert Stevenson uh, went into last year out of options as well. And it's funny how that kind of works in a player's favor, despite the fact that it also is an indication that they've kind of failed over the course of their careers. Um, because when you're that talented, even though you haven't established yourself, the fact that the Reds can't simply just stash you in AAA anymore and it can expose you to every other team in baseball that might have the magic three words that turn your stuff into into production, um, it makes a lot of teams very hesitant to just cut bait on guys. And with Stevenson last year, um, despite his ups and downs as a starter, they finally said, hey, you're going to be a bullpen guy. Uh, use your curveball, use your breaking ball. It's a phenomenal pitch. See what happens. And he had a really good year last year. And I think has firmly moved himself into uh, off the bubble 
this year. He's he's going to be in the bullpen to start this year and going to be a key part back there. Sims is kind of in that same spot, uh, as is Cody Reed from the left side. Uh, two guys that um, both had great prospect pedigrees, but have just not really had either the opportunity or the success or given a long enough rope to really prove themselves. Um, but when they're on, have some of the filthiest stuff on the red staff. And Sims particularly, that curveball, uh, its spin rate is absolutely elite. Um, when I watched him the other day, uh, he actually, I think he had a wild pitch that allowed a run to score. Um, and it was almost because the, the pitch just moved too damn much. Um, he's got that kind of stuff. Cody Reed, I think, has that kind of wipeout stuff from the left side as well. And how those two guys managed to kind of put together the next couple weeks uh, really will help define um, how the rest of that bullpen shakes out because there are a lot of veteran guys who are not on the roster right now and are in our minor league deals who, in theory, if they're healthy, were more experienced and more dependable uh, when healthy options. But those two guys are two guys that I don't think the Reds want to lose and are really hoping they can put it together as soon as possible to go ahead and cement that. Uh, Tony, what do you think, man? Yeah, I mean, the the Reds' bullpen is such, a, is such an interesting – uh, thing to think about going into this season because it is, you know, if you when you're looking at this team and kind of searching for weaknesses, uh, the the lineup is is pretty deep now after the offseason they just had. We talked about how good the starting rotation is. The bullpen is really where you don't see a ton of like proven knock them down relief talent. You know, Russell Iglesias is the, is is still going to be the closer, but he's had a couple of years that where he didn't really look as dominant as he first did when he came into the big leagues. Um, Amir Garrett's obviously very good. Michael Lorenzen took a huge step forward last year. Uh, they've got Pedro Strope in there now, uh, who is who has been a very successful uh, relief arm for a number of years now. Uh, so, but but beyond that, you know, they don't really have the uh, you know, two or three relief, re- you know, shut down relievers that uh, some contenders can can boast. Uh, there, there's there are questions in this bullpen, but I still I find myself really believing in this group because of because of Derek Johnson and because of the uh, steps forward that this organization has taken with its pitching. You know, you think of you know we've talked about Robert Stevenson and how incredible he was last year i mean his his numbers i i'm i'm surprised every time i look at his numbers because it seemed like every time i watched him he just was absolutely filthy and and was striking everybody out and then i go in and see that he had a an era over three and a half and i'm like that doesn't seem possible like he he seemed so good and uh, it's similar with Lucas Sims. You know, Lucas Sims has just such ridiculously high uh, spin rates on his fastball and his breaking stuff that he has really. He, he there seems like there's still so much potential there for a really, really top of the line uh, relief arm. Cody Reed, I'm still very stubborn about believing he can he can be somebody because of the fact that he uh you know his his stuff has looked so good at times and you know if you if you're not trying to move him between the rotation and the bullpen and between triple a and and the majors and and moving him all over the place we still haven't really seen what 
what Cody Reed looks like when you say you're a left-handed reliever, go out and, you know, throw bullets until you can't anymore. Like we haven't seen that version of Cody Reed yet, where, where he right. knows his role. It's very, def- it's very clearly defined, and he has to j- just go out and do that. We haven't seen that yet, and I, I, I mean, really we saw we saw a similar scenario last year. I did around this, but a similar scenario with Amir Garrett last year, also, where he finally was yeah, just sure. be be the dominant lefty and throw your breaking pitch because nobody can fucking hit it. Pardon my French, um, and that's what he did, and it was electric. And Cody Reed's got that same arm talent. You, you just don't create six four lefties who can throw ninety seven. And also have a slider that just breaks people's ankles. And the Reds have two of them uh, in very kind of similar career arcs, to be honest. You know, former starters uh, took a little while to kind of get it adjusted, got their heads beaten in when they first started the big league level. But with Garrett, you saw it begin to take off. And I can just hope Cody Reed stays healthy enough to get that opportunity because I really do think he's got that same caliber stuff. Well, even in that same vein, uh, Jose De, Le- De Leon is in this organization now. You know, you talk right. about a former top prospect who's who's battled some injuries, who uh, you know hasn't really lived up to expectations uh, so far, and is now in his you know mid going into late twenties. Uh, you know, that doesn't really have that prospect status anymore, but has always had just you know, the, those one or two really stand out tools as a pitcher where, you know, you, you watch him and you think if he can just put it together in a couple of other areas, he could be really special. And, uh, you know, what he's he's been a guy who he, he, he's going to be really interesting to watch as spring training unfolds and, and as he tries to lock down a bullpen role and and. Uh, Matt Bowman is also another guy we haven't really talked about much, but again, another guy that uh, when I look at his numbers, I can't believe he didn't have like a 1.5 ERA because (laughs) every time I watched him, he just like struck out everybody and made them look, made them look super silly. I'm pretty sure Matt Bowman has like the high, the like hardest breaking, uh, the the most horizontal break on, on his curveball of like anybody in baseball. He just has like ridiculous stuff, and uh, you know, you, you look at some of these arms, and and then you know, some you you look at some of these other teams like uh, Tampa Bay, Milwaukee, uh, Los Angeles, Houston. Some of these really smart organizations who have been able to take some of these raw talents, uh, you know, some of these raw arms, and really make them into something incredibly valuable, even if it's not a rotation, you know, a a starter who is going to throw 180 innings a year, they make them into, you know, a guy like, you know, Drew, Drew Pomeranz or, uh, you know, one of these guys who they, they tweak a little bit, throw in the bullpen. And now all of a sudden he's striking out 13 batters per nine. You know, you look at some of those organizations and you see that the investment, you see the investments that the Reds have made, into their own uh, pitching infrastructure, and you do get, I I, I get, uh, you know, a little bit hopeful when I see some of the some of the progress and, and and what kind of guys that this organization seems to be targeting, and you know, even if I even if I look at this at this bullpen before the season and don't see, you know, four or five knockout, you know ninth inning eighth inning guys like the Yankees have or something I I still have faith that something good can come together because of how many really 
exciting and interesting arms uh, this team has and how many smart pitching minds that they employ now. Yeah, no, I, I totally, totally agree with that. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting strategy because it's obvious that the Reds certainly had money that they could have spent this past winter. They could have gone out and thrown money at guys like Drew Pomeranz who landed a four-year, what, $30-plus million contract. They could have done that. They spent that money elsewhere. They chose not to invest heavily in the bullpen. Um, you know, obviously, Pedro Stroke, they got a big league contract, but just for one year. Um, they didn't get multi-year deal, deals for relievers in the way that they have with Jared Hughes and David Hernandez and even going back to Sean Marshall and guys like that. Um, they seem to have chosen stuff over experience um, for those roles heading into this year. Um, and that, once again, to, to harken back to what we talked about earlier with uh, the change in analytics and the change in the way the front office has done things, uh, that to me is pretty telling uh, because, yeah, they got a lot of very unproven guys back there. Um, but the stuff that they have is pretty much better than anybody else that could have signed for big money deals on the free agent market. They just have to make it work. And so that's the one thing I'm watching significantly because, uh, yeah, I think they've got the potential to have a very – very good bullpen. Um, it's just going to take a lot of guys kind of finally living up to that talent, and that's the the one thing yeah, that's going to be the interesting. One last thing, thing on the bullpen, so, or, or pitching um, in general, I guess, but just that I want to mention real quick, and I don't want to put like too much stock in it yet just because we haven't actually seen these guys pitch, but, you know, they brought in Kyle Bodie and, and the drivelines, you know, stuff and technology and the biometrics and all that kind of stuff, right? And the more you like, kind of start reading stories this offseason – or, or, you know, since spring training started, um, and they, they talked to the pitchers, um, Michael Lorenzen, uh, De Leon, Sonny Gray, they've all kind of said the same thing, and it's not they're in the best shape of their lives and all that kind of spring training, like, nonsense, you know. They're, they say that their arm has never felt this good. Like, not that, you know, I feel great, you know, I'm going to go out there and do my thing. <laughs> what <clears throat> what I'm saying is, is like it, it, go, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with analytics or whatever, but it seems like they've got these guys on a regimen that they're coming in February, you know, into February, early March, and they're ready to throw, and they're ready to throw hard, you know. And, and I, I don't know, it just – listening to them talk – like the actual pitchers talk about it seems – significant to me but like i said we need to actually watch it happen first but it's just stood, it stood out to me because each guy's kind of said the same thing like my arm oh yeah bad. like I, I don't know like where, where's this been my whole life you know yeah <laughs> yeah i mean like sunny gray walks in and, and it goes two innings in his first spring training start like for years we watched pitchers go one inning and then four days later, go two innings. And then four days later, go three innings. Like they they built up. Reds pitchers, the starters have been going two innings all of their first starts. Uh, Trevor Bowers already pitched almost 10 innings this spring. Um, and in an interview talking about his potential future talked about how he wants to pitch every four days because he feels better after um, short rest than he does after the traditional, you know, every fifth day regimen. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's one of those things where it's, uh, you know, Michael Lorenzen said he wanted to touch 103. He wanted to tie a roll to Chapman uh, for fastball velocity because he thought he could get there. And that, all of this stuff is just like, I don't know, man. Cool. When I look at Michael Lorenzen, <laughs> I just don't believe that that guy can throw hard. You know? Yeah, I know, right? It just is like, how, 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 does, he, how does he top 90 with, uh, with those biceps? I have no <laughs> idea. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I agree. It seems like the pitching staff has got uh, confidence in themselves. They're feeling good, but also that they kind of know that – uh, things will work themselves out even if they hit a rough batch because they've got 
so many different ways of breaking down what it is that's, that might not be working at the time uh, that there's no excuses for, for slumping. And that's kind of cool as well. So um, I guess, well, we're, we're pushing, pushing 40 minutes here. Any, any last thoughts? Uh, I know, Grammy, you mentioned Jose Garcia. If you want to wax poetic on him, he <laughs> is certainly the, uh, uh, the one, um, you know, it's weird. We've entered spring training for so many years uh, with, the acknowledgement that the upcoming season was probably going to suck, but the future, the future is going to be bright. We've been rebuilding. Um, this year, we're, we're obviously focusing on 2020 because the Reds look like they should be contenders. Damn it, they're going to be contenders, and they've put their money where their mouth was to make sure they should be. Uh, so we haven't focused as much on the future as I think we have in previous Februarys and Marches. But uh, Jose Garcia has been um, the one prospect in camp that has really turned heads. Um Doing so at a position where, despite the rumors uh, of the offseason, which was, you know, the, the big Francisco Lindor, will he get moved, moves. And if the Dodgers trade for Lindor, will Seager be available? And Carlos Correa might get traded. And and Didi Gregorius, the Reds wanted to sign him back. All of these things came and, and passed. And Jose Iglesias even got let go and he signed with, with the Orioles. Um, Freddie Galvis is on a one-year contract and the Reds don't really have a whole lot of shortstop depth behind that. What we've seen from 21 year old Jose Garcia this spring is one of the, the, the few aspects where you look at the current roster and you look at the future and say, Hmm, maybe the Reds are onto something here because the dude has looked just as talented as any prospect that's remembered seeing at age 21 in spring camp. Um, uh, what are your, what are your thoughts on, uh, on Jose Garcia, since he is that one kind of beacon for the future we've seen so far this spring. Next, uh, Francisco Lindor. Um, no, no, like I'm looking at it, uh, 15 plate appearances. Yeah, there you go. Total bases, uh, three home runs. Uh, he's got a 1.650 OPS. I know I said earlier that spring training numbers don't matter, but for that, this is fantastic. Um, you know, we're, we're what? We're, we're the two uh, the week and a half <laughs> into actual games, you know? Like, oh, yeah, you know what? Let's have fun with it. Um, I I don't know how Baseball Reference comes up with their quality of opponent or whatever. Okay, well, it's it's a 6.7 for uh, for Jose Garcia, um, which comes out to be about double A. But, hey, that's where he's probably going to start this year. So if he's going to do that against double A quality opponents, we're on the right track is all I'm saying. I mean, it's it's total nonsense. It's fine. I mean, it's yeah. fun. Yeah, he really. No, is, he's I mean, um. He's doing all he can do is go out there and play well, right? And I mean, it doesn't matter if it's spring training or what. Um, and it's fun to see. I and mean, he apparently has all the defensive chops to go right now. So if his back comes around, obviously not probably not going to be like this all the time. But if his back comes around, I mean, from a position that is so barren, like if he could actually. Get, I mean, he's already in that top 100 ish conversation prospect wise. Like, if he takes the leap forward this year, that's it's that's pretty big. That that's what I was gonna get. That's what I was gonna get at is that you know, you, you put the rose colored glasses on and you can get a lot of positives from him. For one, uh, you look at just his surface numbers last year, but then you process that he was playing in the Florida State League and advanced A ball, which is an extreme pitcher's league. And he was basically top five across the board in, in doubles, total bases, OPS, slugging percentage, all of these stats, while also doing it as a 20, 21-year-old flashing a plus glove at shortstop. Um, that's 
that's pretty damn special. And it's not like he was a flash in the pan either. Like the Reds did spend big to get him. You know, they, they spent roughly $5 million on him to sign him out of Cuba uh, in a year where they were already over the, uh, the the luxury tax because of signing Alfredo Rodriguez as well. Um, landed this kid. And, you know, even if it's just the defense uh, that you see from him, he looks the part of a guy who can be a big league shortstop. But then you see his swing, you see his size, the fact that he's, you know, 6'2", 6'3", pushing 210 pounds, but doesn't look yet, knock on wood, like he's too big to still be a major league shortstop in the coming years. Um, you finally get a chance to see him play in some offensive environments, and suddenly it's like, wow, this guy really could be tantalizing. And, you know, while he's fun to dream on as well, it's not like he's an overlooked prospect. He's going to be a consensus top five prospect in the red system by everybody once they get their rankings done. Um He's already cracked a couple top 100 prospect lists. You know, I think Fangrass had him at like 82 or 83, which is the highest right now. Um, yeah, that's, that's where Jeter Downs was last year, this time last year. And then Jeter Downs got to Tulsa and got in a hitting environment and broke out. Um, and now he's a consensus top 50 prospect. And I think uh, Jose Garcia has that ability and has that uh, uh, trajectory right now as well. And so the Reds didn't spend big to go out and address an upgraded shortstop over Freddie Galvis this year. Maybe they don't need one beyond this year because maybe just maybe they've got one in house who looks like he could be the next, next great thing. Uh, Tony, what are your thoughts on it, man? Yeah. You know, if, if he has one short shortcoming, it's the uh, approach, you know, he walked less than 6% of the time last year. Uh, he, he does have a little bit of, uh, he, he, he has a little bit of swing and miss in him for somebody who walks that little. So that's, that's something that you, that's easy to identify right now and, and say, okay, that's, that's not the best, uh, that that's something that could that could hamper him going forward, but you can also look. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Did you, did you say future MVP? Is that what I heard? I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, but but at the same time, you can also say he's 21. And uh, you know, right. I, I when uh, Eric Longenhagen at, at Fangraphs uh, was writing up his top 100 prospects uh, just a few weeks ago, he put Jose Garcia in number 82, and he said that uh, if if Jose Garcia's tools were placed on just some random college uh, shortstop, then he'd be a very famous player and there would be, you know, there would be talk of him being drafted pretty high. So uh, Jose Garcia is very, very uh, advanced for his age in, in a lot of ways when you, when it comes to the, uh, when it comes to his glove, and just his his sheer athleticism, I think, is what stands stands out for a lot of people. And it's it's uh, really it's if if he pans out, it, it would just it would mean a lot for for an organization that you know we've talked about before has just had so much issue developing position players out of their international signing classes. You know, this, uh, as, even though we did just see Alfredo Rodriguez, uh, Homer in a spring training game a couple of days ago, went opposite field. Somehow. Yeah. Opposite field on a dinger. <laughs> uh, so anything's possible in spring training. Make, uh, that's where magic happens. Um, but, you know, we've, we've seen the Reds, you know, spend big on international signees and, have them fall flat and we've seen them, you know, hand out some of these, you know, 500, 600, 
$5,000 signing bonuses to 16-year-old, you know, sort of toolsy players who also don't pan out. You know, it's been a really <laughs> long time since we've seen, you know, with, you know, Aristides Aquino uh, notwithstanding, you know, we'll, we'll see how how he uh, looks on, uh, over, over, you know, what we expect to be close to a full season in the majors this year. Uh Putting him aside, it's been a long time since we've seen the Reds sign sign somebody uh, in in Latin America and have them come over as a hitter and 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 produce for them. So if if Jose Garcia uh, has he's not going to make he's not going to be in the majors. Obviously, he's still as we say he's a couple years away. But uh, if he starts in Double A this year and is really you know continues to hit well and and shows maybe a little bit more uh discretion at the plate and continue to continues to show a little bit of power while flashing that glove uh he has to this point in his career he's he's gonna start to look the part of a you know one of those kind of uh centerpieces that that these uh that these organizations look to build build around yeah, one hundred percent. And I guess we should we should not let Tyler Stevenson go under the radar either. Obviously, we've been focusing on Garcia, but uh, Tyler Stevenson had a phenomenal year last year at Double A as well, and continued in the Arizona Fall League. And so far in spring camp, has looked uh, again like one of those you know classic cases of. Uh, a highly drafted catching prospect at a high school that just takes a while to kind of put things together. He's fought through injuries and everything else, but he's still just, what, 22, 23 years old. Probably start the season in AAA, but has also looked the part in spring camp of uh, a big, big cog for the future as well. So uh, it, it's a two-part story. It's one that's nice that we've got Garcia We've got uh, Tyler Stevenson. We've got Nick Senzel coming back tomorrow or, or Wednesday or Thursday, technically, to be back in the lineup as well. It's fun to still look at the projections for the future of this club while also having the ability to look at the 2020 season and say, damn it, that's going to be a good one, too. So, um, yeah, so it's uh, it's been a fun, fun couple months of developing towards this 2020 season for the Cincinnati Reds. And uh, I am I am anxiously looking forward to following a club this year with expectations and hopefully without having to, to just lean on dark humor and satire to get through writing articles about this club every single day for six or seven months. So um, anyway, I guess we're pushing 50 minutes here, so we'll probably go ahead and wrap this. Uh, for Derek and for Tony, thank you for joining us again. Look for us again, hopefully, in another week or so as we try to get this back on a regular schedule. Um, you can find us at redreporter.com, on Twitter at redreporter, on Facebook at redreporterfans. We will continue our, our our preseason previews of all the players we expect to have impact on the 2020 roster in our red reports, and also just breaking out where this roster looks like it's going as we uh, get closer and closer to the regular season. So, um, yeah. So, guys, uh, thank you for joining me. And uh, with that, I guess we'll uh, we'll call this a wrap on the uh, the first Sounds red good. reporter podcast of the 2020 season. How about that? Sounds good to me. All right, good stuff, guys. Yep. Till next time.